This is Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I'm pastor of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. And across from me is the one and only Andy Littleton, and he is one of the greatest pastors of Mission <laughs> Church. Don't tell Nick. And well, he said of one the, of the greatest. Yeah, so one of the greatest. All right, and uh, or any other pastor that might be at Mission Church at any given time. There might be some more. Yeah, yeah you never know. Uh, you heard that morning yawn from morning me. Morning yawn. Mission Church is in Tucson. If you didn't know that, so is the village. Yep. And today, we talked about. Uh, gosh, I'm not sure. We, what, well, we were in Acts for a while. That was really cool, talking about being provoked. Uh, what provokes us? Yeah, we talked yeah. about, and this is especially in context of who who we want to see engaging with Christ, how we want to see that happen in the church. Talked a little bit about Gen Z. It's good stuff. And uh, I heard you. So you going out of town? Yep. Yep. I'm leaving. Leaving. Here. Yeah, how long will you go be gone? Find, find myself. Not true. Uh, about a little under a week. Oh, cool. Is yeah. it a vacation? Yeah. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. Enjoy that. Thank you. I'm looking forward to so it. So, will we be podcasting on Tuesday? Uh, yep. I'll okay. be back. Okay. Cool. So, awesome. hey, enjoy the podcast, everyone. Yeah, it was really good. Hey Andy, oh hi! It's Eric. good to see you. We're we're like I think today we could call miscellaneous topics. Well, I th- I think we're discovering where we're going. I, we were just talking, and you typically just start recording, which I kind of hate. But yeah, but sometimes you're not wrong because sometimes the conversation's getting good, and the whole concept of our podcast is that it's just the conversation. So right. So this is like, I have another podcast called Healing the City, and we don't put any of the beginning conversations. Yeah. They're like, you know, 15 to 18 I should, minutes. I should probably listen to that. I'd really enjoy that. You probably would. As opposed to... I actually think you should. It would be very helpful for you as a pastor. Oh, really? I do. Oh, I think you should listen to my podcast. I actually have listened to some <laughs> of your kidding. podcasts. <laughs> I just Probably kidding. more of your podcast than you have listened to mine. You're probably right. I am right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably just listen to more podcasts in general than I do. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> well, well, this was, it was interesting because when Paul Vanderclay was in town, who's a, he's a YouTuber. Yes. I was discussing with him. I had, I never watched long form YouTube videos like right. he does. And I said, who watches these? Like, how do you get millions of views? How is that? How does anyone in their right mind want to listen to you talk to somebody for an hour and a half? And how, do, and how then do millions of people choose to do this? And, and he described the type of, you know, they're on their job, they're doing other things. And then I brought up podcasting and he said, yeah, a lot of these, those people don't cross over into podcasts. They want the long form and some of them don't even watch the video because the podcast is just very precise. precise. It's like, you know exactly how long it is. You're in, you're out. And I think, yeah, I think there are different groups of people. I listen to a few podcasts, but not that many, but I know people that inhale podcasts. They just, yes, they go on a jog. They listen to three or four. I, if I go, if I'm outside, I don't want to listen to anything. And so 
I, I yeah. Anyway, there's there's a topic, Eric. The the types of people that watch YouTube, listen to podcasts, or like to read the very short articles that give you three things like the one you were just telling me about three things gen z wants their pastors to talk about and they don't which we can't find yeah i don't even know where i read it right (laughs) anyway i was trying to hunt it down but it's not important oh it's so important and then you know gen z they just want you to be on tiktok man yeah where are you at on TikTok? But not, you know the you're on the podcast ancient dinosaur. Somebody network. who teaches a lot of Gen Zers, and she was laughing because they all are on TikTok, right. but have no idea politically what's happening with TikTok. They they were clueless. They didn't know. Right, sure. Like so, she said, I had a class of thirty kids, and not one kid knew. The, the, what was going on between the Chinese government and Trump and TikTok and all that. Like, they had no mm-hmm. idea. They were just clueless. I, <laughs> I, I thought that was it. That was really interesting. It's just a vehicle for them. It's just a way of communicating and engaging. Yeah. Yes, but it is. I think what's interesting, just to go back to the, the YouTube thing, my wife is probably a bit more of a hybrid of you and me, but she hates the YouTube videos, instructional videos, where the person talks for the you know, first 10 minutes. She just wants it to be a precise, show me what to do, then I'll go do it. I, yeah, I, I often find myself going, when are we going to get to the point here? Like I watched one about linseed oiling a rusty old truck. Why did that need to be 30 minutes long? (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, skip, skip, skip. Yeah. Where the other people just, it's, it, and I think it's sort of the premise of our show is you're sitting it's as if you were sitting at a table next to us and you're overhearing our conversation yes. and you're getting to those points where you want to be like, oh, I want to say that to them. Yes. I, I want to jump in here. I don't that's, agree with that. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on between the two of them. That's, that's precisely what, what our show is. It, it really is. And I realize I'm bringing to others what I don't necessarily, <laughs> well, you don't what listen. I'm not necessarily looking for myself. You don't listen. So you don't I don't. Listen to your own show. I don't. <laughs> I really don't. Every once in a while, I'll I'll wonder how one went, and I'll listen to it to just understand. And I usually get annoyed with myself. Yeah, yeah. But um, but no, you're right. People want they they want that dialogue. They want to feel like they're a part of this person's life. And um, yeah, I just personally don't have it. I just that's not me. That's not you. We've yeah. established that over time now. Yeah, that this is not you. This is not me. So I mean, here I am crossing over, meeting you where you are. Yeah. In your That's beautiful as place. a pastor. That's one of the things you have to offer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, so. I think what's been fun to just reflect on the show is it really, if you go back to the very first show and you somewhat, like for the most part, except that you and I on occasionally maybe over the last three years have had coffee outside of this meeting. Right. Or I've showed up at your church or you showed up at mine. Or we engage each other denominationally. Mm-hmm. But that's our, so this is, people actually hear our friendship. I mean, there's talking beforehand and talking afterwards, but they're getting a, like to watch us get to know each other, engage. And you really are getting the bulk of our yeah. conversations, uh, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. yeah. So that's a cool thing, I think, is a, you know, just be part of our relationship because yeah. listen as we develop. It's weird to think that other people are just in, in this room. Like, look her, oh my gosh. Yeah, look at all the people. There. No, there's not a lot of room in here. <laughs> Why don't we ever let them talk? <laughs> I don't know. We're very... <laughs> we're pastors. We have yeah. things to say. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. So, 
Okay, actually, let's let's go down this Gen Z route and stuff because later today I'm talking to uh, I'm talking to a pastors group, another pastors group that I have never met. I I don't think I know any of these people. What pastors group would that be? The one I've never met. It's I don't I don't know if it has an official name. There's 20, 25 pastors that get together in kind of Southwest Tucson. I've found they invited me to come. Oh yes, I know them. You do? Yes. Okay, they're part of. Uh, dang it. Sorry, dang it the, the, they're part of the Dang It Network. You know, I so I went to one of their conferences. Oh yeah, and, I've heard they do. Yeah, and I networked do, with them. You networked with them. You networked. So, like, you, is that was that your first that, time? Yeah, it was my first time. I, I actually do a lot of networking. I'm just. It's kidding. just not your kind of networking. You right? The you're awesome right. networking. I no, don't, I don't do the awesome. You do awesome networking. You're like. Oh, I found this guy who was uh, talking about the cultural remnants within David Bowie's uh, third album. The uh, cultural remnants. (laughs) No, no, no. But they're they're kind of the, I'll tell you right now, we won't name them, but they are the slick group. Slick. This is, they they got a model. They're the parachuters. The parachuters. You know, parachute church planters. Okay. A lot of them are anyway. Good. Boom. Land. All parachute. $100,000 budget. Boom. Put it together. That sounds the exact opposite of what I've heard, but um, I, maybe it's a different group. It might be, yeah. uh, and I'm starting to wonder how many of these groups are there. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's cool that there are more. So you're just speaking these. to them. Yeah, never met. I mean, I talked. I was invited. How'd you get invited if you've never heard of them and don't know anybody? Well, I know someone at one of their churches uh, is how it came up, and he recommended me. What, I guess what church is this? The church they go to. Um, I don't remember. Oh uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, we can't talk about that. I, don't, I mean, I don't. I don't know these people. I'm gonna go get to know them. I'll learn more. I'll share more okay. with time. But um, but the uh, anyway, what I always try to do if I'm going to preach at another church, I really don't like the sermon in your pocket idea. Though I know it's very Rod is a huge proponent of it. But I feel like if I'm gonna go to any other church. I want to ask the question, what about me would be helpful to you? What can I bring mm-hmm. that would actually make my, I don't want to just fill a empty slot for you and just, oh, the thing moved one more week. I, let me say something that needs to be said. So I've, I always ask that question. Is there something that I can bring that you can't really say, or is there something that needs to be set? Or are you on a trajectory that I can keep? Trajectoring. Trajectoring. Yes. So with these folks, um, A, I heard that they like to be preached to, potentially, maybe more. I think the pastor's group that we're a part of, um, I think the tendency, the natural tendency is to preach to one another. Mm-hmm. But maybe we don't really need that. And we want the relationships. And we almost have to push back a little bit on, you know, keep your keep your talk short. Talk for about fifteen minutes. Let people ask questions. Let them discuss. Don't let don't get into preacher mode. I think I'm hearing this other group would really like it because they want to see different types of teaching exemplified or or exhibited, which is interesting. And then, um, kind of what I gleaned was that maybe maybe there was some need to learn about how to talk to because I was recommended because I talk to younger people and people outside of the church. Uh, I know that expert. I'm that I know how to talk to them apparently. Yeah. Which I, I think, I, I think I do. And, um, 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm about to talk to some leaders about how to do that. You're talking about Gen Z and how to relate to Gen Z. Yeah. Let's go for it. All right. So uh, can I come to this talk? Yeah. When is it? When? Later today. Later today. Where at? It's in two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. I'll find the address for you later. But yeah. Uh, Sure. Yes. You can come. Yeah. And so I'm taking... Yeah. Where I'm going with that. I'm actually basing it off a sermon we did this year in discipleship, but tweaking it a little bit for this group and talking about the Thessalonians, Bereans, and Athenians and the different ways that Paul engaged with these groups because they had different, they had different backgrounds and different ways of approaching things like the Bible. Yeah. Like in Berea, they're examining the scriptures in Athens Paul doesn't bring up the scriptures at first at right. all. And so kind of talking about a little bit of his dexterity and ability to mm. know who he's going to talk to. And then the Thessalonians are the knowledgeable in the faith who reject him right? and track him down and want to beat the snot out of him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a cool way of kind of narrating those few chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so... So we're talking about Acts 17. Yeah. About 16, 17, 18. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And, uh, and thinking through, yeah, how... And, and there's so much background information we don't have on Paul. But he, he was... The basic premise, he, he was a student of the different groups of people. And especially you see it in Athens, because when you dig a little bit deeper, the speech he gives gives evidence that he studied the speeches of rabbis who succeeded in Athens. There were rabbi, there were Jewish leaders who had gone there and Athens was kind of cutthroat. I mean, you could be killed for giving poor reasoning for, Certainly. for not having good ideas or, or, or just or, uh, democracy. Mm-hmm. Socrates. Yeah. Yeah. 49 to 50 something. Yep. This is the same, same stage as Socrates mm-hmm. spoke on. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and so, but there were a lot, there were Jewish rabbis who had learned how to contend for their thinking in this space. And it seems evident from Paul's speech that he took note of what they did, that he understood what they'd said, that he'd probably read them and, and knew what they had done. And he also knew the, some of the texts of the culture and he brought that to bear. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's fascinating, Acts 17. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about Acts 17 is that the, the word, you know, he was he was very distraught by his experience. Yeah, he was uh, what, provoked yes. even in spirit, yeah. No, there's like 50,000 statues. Yeah. The one to the unknown God is very fascinating because yeah. that's when there was a plague oh. and they let the, so Epimedes, who he's a yeah. fan of and whom he quotes a lot, yeah. I think it's that he's quoting anyway. It's, this is I'm pulling this all out of my head. Um, but Doing a great job. He lets the sheep that he's like. Well, you know what? We don't know what God is causing this plague. We've sacrificed everything. It's not stopping. So let's just let the sheep out into the into Athens. Wherever those sheep die, if they don't, if that's the God that whatever temple they died near, that's who we're going to sacrifice it to. Well, a whole bunch of them died around places where there were no temples. So they erected the statue or these altars oh. to the unknown God. Wow. 
And so there's Paul. That's Paul grabs yeah. that and he begins and his he conversation. And he knows about that. Yeah. I do think what's interesting is that Paul always does the same thing. He gets provoked and he goes to the synagogues and first has a conversation with people he can actually have a more in-depth conversation about what's happening in the world and how they're yeah. functioning and who Jesus is. Yeah, and I wish we had more info on those, like the weeks he spent in those places, right? Yes. And months or sometimes years. Um, that would be really interesting stuff. Because I think we read these tidbits in the book of Acts and we think that's all he said. No, that's not all he said. There was a lot more said. There were a right. lot more conversations. There was a lot more background that was gathered he was there a long time in these places. So I got a question for you. Yeah. In this Gen Z and, and even to go back to the topic that you texted about, which was what do you have? What do we have that's unique that we bring to the table as Andy and Eric? Um, what provokes you? Yeah. As you look around, the, uh -huh. like what particular things provoke you to yeah. be concerned about the culture and concerned about mm. sort of the lostness of people? I have been... I have been thinking about this recently. Yeah. And so I think there are different, let's see the word provoke. There are things that I think provoke me to action and concern. And there are things that provoke me in such a way that, that I am, you know, that they're offensive to me. And I think I see that in the apostle Paul too. I mean, a, a moment would be, okay. So the apostle Paul and circumcision, you tend to view him as very like anti this needs to stop. But then Timothy, his disciple, he recommends get circumcised as an adult in order to Hello. Yeah. <laughs> in order to effectively minister in his context. Yes. So Paul obviously wasn't just utterly anti circumcision itself. He he saw it as a thing that was it was a Jewish custom that had validity, and if you were going to go do ministry in a Jewish context and you weren't circumcised, that was going to come back to bite you, so you might as well, you know, have a high voice for a couple of days. And so... I'm going for a couple of weeks, but are, yeah. Are you? Okay, okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. So, so, anyway, but when people... this And this is... God's people, because they weren't dividing them up like, oh, this is the Christian Protestant church and this is the Jew. You know, they were going to the people who had the word and proclaiming to them that the that the Messiah, the Savior, yes. the King has come. And when those people um, came to a Gentile community who had received the gospel and believed and tried to force upon them circumcision— and say your belief is invalid without circumcision, Paul got mad. Yes, he did. Right? And so there's that provoked. I think there's the provoked of, you know, and I don't, I actually don't know the etymology of these words at the moment, but in the, in the Bible, but I think I see, when I think of the word provoked, I think there are things that provoke me to action where I say like, oh no, this isn't yeah. going anywhere for you. This is empty. This is, or like that's, you're onto something, but you're missing incredible yeah. layers of, of meaning. I just got a book. Um, so I think I'm provoked in that way toward people who are generally a little bit in, in our culture, they lean more toward secularism and tolerance and stuff like that. And I, I care about them deeply. I want to see them come to the faith. I, I see redeeming qualities in their beliefs. I see huge holes. 
um, and missing elements. I just got a book about um, about faith and trees and the value of trees, and that is because someone I know here in town has become has been very vocal about their love for trees. I want to understand more a theology that would connect to them potentially. Um, provoked to anger, I think, is when I see people within the church putting up walls they don't need to put up in front of people that block them from the gospel and like the circumcision stuff. And, um, and so, and I found in the last year that that has angered me deeply when, when walls are being put up in front of somebody having a robust understanding of the gospel, um, for what seems to me to be just self-protective reasons versus gospel-centered reasons. Right. Yeah. So if we go with the provoked in this world, yeah, that would lead you to like make an appeal to your church mm-hmm. first to understand the gospel a little differently mm-hmm. and then to make an appeal to the world. Like what's the thing you look at the world and you're like, oh, wow, like... Because I, I think what I heard you say was like one of the things that provokes you in the church is the walls. Right. I was curious what provokes you to action outside of the church. Like what you, because Paul's provoked when he sees that a misguided, mm-hmm. like lost worship. Yes. Yeah. And I agree. I think that's the provoked we see in, in Athens. Right. Yeah. He's not, I don't think he's mad at these people. Right. I think he is, he's like, this is, yeah, I think he's looking around and saying, you need you need Christ. This is this is leading. No, this is chaos, and you're just lost in it. And um, and I think that would that should provoke your spirit. Um, yeah, I I do. There's so many things, so many things. I mean, I I tend to think. So I'll just take take one. Every time I see I see something like a, a bumper sticker that says tolerance or whatever, right? I. I immediately tend to think something. I'll go, I probably am going to enjoy this person's company. Right. Honestly, I think I'm going to under, I understand what they're asking for. I understand that they want people, they want peace. Right. I understand that they want there to be understanding and not division. Right. And they don't want there to be any more of these religious wars and stuff like that. And I understand what they're saying. But I also believe uh, that this is, to essentially come preaching that there is no way to God is an intolerant idea. It's it's a position. Right. It's a faith. Right. It excludes all the others. Right. And th- they and I don't think they see it that way, but I think it is feeding into narratives like cancel culture, and it's feeding into narratives that are actually ripping us apart and unintentionally. But it's happening intentionally by some folks. But um, but there's a part of me that just goes, ah, you know, that sentiment I understand, and I want to, and I think I'd really enjoy knowing you and talking to you. But you, if you get rid of all gods or all of them, just kind of lay down and you know they don't no contend at all, then we have no basis for a just society. We have no reason to march in the streets against injustice. We have no right. This is not tolerance. We, you know, you, we lose something so important. And so we need, we need something else. 
right. need something else. And I think that that's one example, you know, of the type of provoked, I feel not angry at these folks. I'm not like, oh gosh, get out of my town. Actually, I, I think I'd really enjoy your company, but I still, I'm very concerned about this. How about you? What provokes me? I, I think honestly, probably at this point, the thing that stirs me up and wants me, like brings me first to my church and then to the yeah. place where I want to make an appeal to my neighbor is, and I do think I usually start with my church, which I think is that biblical stuff. actually. Yeah, uh, but I think is is the um, ide- ideologies as uh, truth and faith, like mm-hmm. like when I uh, like I'm, hey, I'm using like 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 like, <laughs> like, like. I yep. think when about time there is this idea that in how how do I say this what provokes me is that kingdoms are being built all the time yes Uh and these kingdoms are kingdoms that are not the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and they are kingdoms that can be very destructive Mm -hmm. and what my appeal to the church is that there is an inclination within the church to join a different kingdom than the kingdom of God and and to see the present as the kingdoms that we need to yes. grab hold of and claim is true. And I, are, I relate to this as well. Sadistic yeah. underbellies of mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. Um, that are sadistic in both sides mm-hmm. of, of these two prominent kingdoms in our culture. So I think making the appeal of you can't join the kingdoms, you don't belong to these kingdoms and your identity in Christ and in the kingdom of God has to be rooted in a way that you can, can dialogue with the kingdoms, not be part of one of them. So I assume you're talking slightly politically. I, I like as the ideologies. I, I, sure. I mean, in some of the reading I'm doing right now, a lot of the different political lines of thought are being framed as ideologies, which is accurate. And they come from, there's usually a philosophy behind them and they yes. really have a religious character. Yes. And I agree with you. I've been thinking this, I'm trying to instill this in our church that these are not, it's, you don't have, I'm a Christian and I'm that ideology. These are incompatible things. The, the call of the Christian, the kingdom of God is a unique thing. And then you can go live and move in the world with people of these ideologies. And you might agree with them on one thing over here, one thing over here, but you cannot wholesale become one of them. Right. Because it is a different faith. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's the one thing. And then to go to the people who are outside of the community of God and begin to dialogue with what they, like, so understanding their kind of foundations and their ideology by reading their prophets. Yes, their, yes. So, Which I, you must do. If you right. don't, if you're not willing to read their prophets, you're not going to be able to contend for the faith with it. You're going to make arguments against things they don't even believe. Right. And also just not understand how they've developed their thinking. Totally. And I, I think what my problem and why I want to appeal to the church is that there are people who are reading these things but the, and in our churches, yeah. but they are part of the wrong kingdom while they're reading it. So they're not reading it with a critical mind to say, okay, what parts of this have the gospel? What parts of this don't have the gospel? How do I yes. help being... people step out of this? They're... They're actually being in- inducted. Yeah, I I fully I fully agree with that. I I have observed the same in my church, but the opposite. I've I've, I've observed some folks have gone and read 
ideological books during this time, and they've, you know, gently critiqued them and said, you know, I, I see what they're saying here, but I can't, right. you know, it, you know, my Christian faith doesn't allow me to say X, Y, or Z with them. And I really respect that. I think I get concerned when that kind of stuff is being promoted in our community because I don't think everybody's able to, to do that level of discernment. Yes, so that's, that's important. Yeah, and I think, and that's not to put them down. It's to say I, you just haven't, you're not trained in this. You don't, you're not ready for this. You need to be steeped in the gospel well so that you can go out and compare and contrast. And then I think that critical thinking and compare and contrast is really important if you're able to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I think those those things that provokes me, but then I want to be able to have the dialogue with the with people on both areas. Of, and and basically our our world right now is run, you know, by two kinds of of kingdoms, human kingdoms. There's a there's a spiritual kingdom that's and a force behind both of them. I I actually just to, so I don't forget to say this. I feel like that our two political ideologies are are like first cousins by yes. the way they're so similar they are that that's another people think they're so different they're really not if you really drill down into them right they're like postmodern expressions of liberal of classical liberalism or something of that nature certainly and yeah. they they were so they're so mad at each other because they're so similar yeah i think there's the elements of that i also just think that fundamentalism itself exists in both ends uh, absolutely and, and so there so and that, moralism in both ends. yes and, and mm-hmm. so it's 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 uh but i think it's yeah there's a lot of things that we're called to like help people dissect there so it's very provoking to me but i think what it what i want is to be a kingdom person who helps people come into the kingdom yeah and seeing the value of, you know, the justice of God played out in Christ and yeah. and the place of, you know, mercy and gentleness and kindness and all that getting played out in the kingdom of God. That's such a stark contrast. But I have to appeal to community, which I think brings us back to, or not back to, to another idea we kind of bantered around about before we got on the air, which was the idea that there is a... You cannot offer anything good, I think, to the world unless your community, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it does right. need to be living healthy. Like you don't go run a marathon right. when you've never worked out. You yeah, haven't jogged I, at all. You haven't, you're not, you're, you've been I, sitting on the couch and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to run, uh, you know, 5K. And you're like, no, maybe you should just walk around the block. <laughs> well, it's how I once felt about, there was a guy in kind of, yeah, my past who was was running for office. I don't think he he didn't make it, but he he, he had a horrible he had horrible relation. No friends, wife, daughter didn't like him. Everything on the rocks. And I remember thinking, so why are you going to lead us? Right, like shouldn't you right. invest at home and get to an, a place of under? You don't have to be perfect there, right? But like, if you can't, if they don't even want to follow you anywhere. And I feel like a a similar thing could be said to us as the church, right? So you're going to critique and lead the culture, you know? Yeah. I think, I think we got to, we got to start at home. Yeah. And that's been the thing that I I think our time of like COVID, uh, race relations and politics have brought to my attention within my own community, um, is, one, you know, we 
we're not able to work out some of these things in our own community. Like there are, right. we, we, we don't know how to talk to one another right. just as That's we disagree. Yeah. We, we need to be able, we don't understand a kingdom theology. Yeah. And that, that means that we've all got a foot in the world and mm-hmm. we've allowed it to influence the way we understand things. Yeah. How, and, and I just want to say one more thing. What we do is we say this person outside of my community, he's an expert. Yeah. More than my brothers and sisters around me. Like they they mm-hmm. they have less power to speak into my life than this guy I see out here in the world. This and and interestingly, you know, people on both sides have their there's my expert and I'll pit your expert against my expert. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which is tough. And I I don't think I don't do that cuz I do have there are people I I listen to, I sure. pay attention to. I know you do too. And so it's a, but even in that, I think as a pastor, you hinted at this last week, you'd like your folks to trust that you are discerning who you listen to and who you lean on a little bit and share with them as a shepherd of their souls. You'd like them to lean heavily into you and maybe the recommended folks, you know, that you, it's like Paul comes into a town and he says, I'm bringing Timothy to you. Right. The expectation is because I, you trust me and you know I love you and you know I've brought the gospel to you. Right. And I'm saying this is a trustworthy source. Right. You know, listen to him. Right. Versus the random person who comes in and preaches another gospel. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I also think we, I just don't know if we actually value the church in the sense of our, our local body. Uh-huh. Like, no, as I know. Followers we of don't. Jesus. Like we don't, we don't like, wow, these people are my brothers and sisters. Yeah. These are my people. Yeah. Like if all their warts and all their irritations and all their coolness, like that's my people. Yeah. Um, and I think then from that saying, and the people that my people are connected to are my people. Like that, yeah. like we, we do this together and we love together. And that's, a, that's, a, I think that's the force of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that's when you begin to push outward. And it's interesting because this, this gets at attention that you were bringing up earlier that, that within your community, that there have been folks that have wanted to get moving and do things outside, but you've wanted to, you know, invest in the church. Now I, I'm going to advocate for their perspective for a second because as we talked about on here recently, that Lake Charles trip and how much like that group of us bonded together by doing what we did together. Yeah. There is some, and I, and I've been a little influenced the last couple of years by reading, um, well, a book called underground church. And one of the premises of that pastor is he learned that a lot of people wanted to get active and moving and their churches were always stalling them. So he started a church that was kind of the opposite that always said yes to people's ideas and um, and he says, his report from that, is that when people are active together, deeper discipleship happens between them and a deeper bond, and they press into their questions of faith more deeply when they're not just sitting and, and in this, like, I'm being fed and growing state. Sure. And, and I know you, you would agree with that. So there is, like, this both and, both and of— being 
developed and formed as a church, but some of that happens in doing mission sure. together. Yeah. Well, I guess here's... Which is funny because I just think about the names of our churches, the village and mission. Like your, your church's emphasis is like on the village and we don't even talk about like in our name, it's like what we're we're gone. We're out. We're doing stuff. That's just in the name. Sure, it's in the name, and and ours was you know taken from Mrs. Clinton. It takes a village to raise right. a child. Um, I I so here here's my argument against this, and this is my experience in the church, and I've grown up in the church, so I could say I'm an expert in it. Right, and this is it. A lot of people want to go do mission. And they're like, hey, let's yeah. let's help the poor. Yeah. A third of your church is poor. Oh, not them. The right. people who aren't. Oh, let's help the abused. Half yeah. your church is abused. Well, not yeah. them. And, and I'm like, if you're doing what you're supposed to do mission-wise. Then you're taking care of the, the household of faith. Right. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You, and, and, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, no, no. As an organization and institution, we need to do something symbolic that's helping people. Right. Because what we're doing within the community of faith is not helping people. Now, if we're going to church <laughs> yeah. and sitting and staring at somebody for an hour and listening to him speak and getting a cookie and a cup of coffee, giving our tithe and expecting some organization then to go do something and we go home and do our job and have our pot roast, then no. Right. Then you're not doing what the church is called to do. Well, and implicit in being the city on a hill that we are called to be is that we would exemplify what we wish everyone else could experience. Right. Right. And that they could observe that in us. It's not just the city on a hill doesn't just send, you know, a once a month group down to do something nice for other people and then go back to its city where nobody can see them. Right. Right. They are living out something in front of people where people, how do you take care of each other so well? Well, we have motives. Right. <laughs> we have incredible motives in Christ. What are those? You know, that's that's sort of the Well, and it gets the dialogue. The beauty of a, a true church is that they you walk into it and, and the question you ask is, Well, what are you guys doing with the poor? And they're like, What do you mean? We have no nothing in our community that does anything with the poor. And then you start asking questions. Like, for instance, as I was talking to someone from our church today, well, what are they doing with the poor? Their neighbor has dementia. They right. go there. They feed them. They hang out with the, they support the, their, the wife. They do, do, does that get announced as this no. is our mission to the poor? This is our mission to the disabled? No. This is what the followers of Jesus do. And it, and it is very frustrating as a church leader to talk now to go provoked in the other direction. Yes. When people ask what is the church doing, right? Like in this area, in this or that area. And A, you know that the people of the church actually are in many ways living this out, but they're just not getting, you don't notice that. and But you don't want to, that's not something you go around advertising, that'd be weird. But the other thing is this assumption that if the staff potentially of the church is doing it, then that's enough. I just want to be a part of a church where that organization is, doing some things I can be proud of giving my funds to like, no, that's not what we're saying. We want, this is to be exemplified in lives and you're not going to notice it. And it's not necessarily going to come across as if the church it's, you know, I have, Oh gosh, I'm gonna get myself in trouble, but you know, the, the food drives and stuff where it's like, we're giving out a lot of food, you know, 
it's okay, I guess. But to me, like that, I I just I would way rather see people regularly having people over for dinner who needed it, right, or something like that. Um, well, I think the food drives are necessary. I just don't think that you should think that that is that that fulfills the we're helping yeah. in a rhythm we're helping the poor i think you know there, I, I do agree there's a place for food drives yeah yeah i i don't think every church is called to do them right um we all have different spaces and missions but I, and another thing too about the discipleship that happens within the church is when you do go out because there are times for nonprofits to be formed and yeah. for initiatives to happen we're of do, course we're doing this we're, now we are and you are, and I got to help a little bit, which is cool, which is exciting. But formed folks in in a church community create versions of that that are meaningful and deep, right? And so when when the the formation isn't happening within the church community, there's we have evidence of missions and relief work and so on and so forth that's been done very poorly because right. it's just about checking off the box for you, right? And so you need to be formed in your community to do the healthy version of those things, whatever it is. Right. So here, here's an example of something that our church did a while back that just makes, like gives me, this is, talk about mission, just I, I'm starting to reminisce, but uh-huh. do you, I don't, you probably don't remember this, maybe you do remember this, when George Bush was in office and I they had their that. little like stimulus, which was either like a $400 check or an $800 check. I don't remember if you remember this at all, but. Not they handed out anyway. So what we decided is we we got up in front of our church and we said, "All right, we're going to call it. We you don't. This wasn't money you had before, right? So we're going to call this found money, and we're inviting you to give it to a fund, hmm. and then we're gonna we are going to endorse you all as missionaries, and w- and when you come up against somebody who needs money, who needs our help, uh, yeah. you're going to call us." We're gonna. We create a little committee of three people that you would call. They would listen to what was needed, and then we would act. And the funny thing, we actually paid a ransom. Yeah. For somebody to get them out of jail in Mexico. Wow. <laughs> From this found money, we uh, we some guy we we bought a jacket for him. You know, yep. we we just did these little things where people all of a sudden felt empowered by uh-huh. this little fund, and they did crazy things. But yeah. that was just a spontaneous, this is a natural way of our community being. And I, you know, that's when we're doing, but that's shut down. We don't have a found money program anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we have other things. They just come and I think when you're being formed, you're looking for ways to engage the gospel in the world with your neighbor in a bigger sense, in a tiny sense. Like you're always trying to figure out how do I bring jesus to this space where what does it look like for me to you know be at work with these people over and over for five years yeah well how do i know their stories how do i find out what they need how do i begin to try to bring jesus in a way that they will culturally understand it right you know i think that's that's the cool part of being a missionary like and but you don't do that unless you really feel like people need jesus yeah and sometimes i think our churches don't feel that way <laughs> they don't they don't think oh others need jesus and i i'm the i'm the vehicle jesus yeah. is with me and i i'm with him and i'm called to live in these spaces it's that's the discipleship process yeah yeah 
So you brought up Gen Z before. Oh, what yeah. What's the unique uh, thing uh, coming with this new generation in regard to this? Well, you read you, you read the stats, so I don't know. I, here, here's the thing <laughs> I think with Gen Z is that they certainly have been enculturated um, in a different educational system than you, even you and I grew up in. And so their understandings, I think, when it comes to different kingdoms, tend to lean a little bit more into the, the left kingdom. But interestingly, on that, so I just I did read some Barnapol stats on the priorities yes. of Gen Z, and very very low on the list was caring for the poor. Yes, very low. Yeah, but figuring out life for me, mm-hmm. which does make sense in the uh, in the general scheme of like they're young. Well, yeah, they're young, but also the the ideologies are individualistic yes. and what's best for the world is really what's best for me um, and and people who relate to me and so the uh, the you know you could say the oppression that I feel is the most important one mm-hmm. um, or the um, the longing I feel is the most important one so we have all kind of people doing these you know kind of wanderlust sojourns where they're yeah. trying to find peace or themselves or whatever right yeah. And and uh, and so there's not a lot of space for caring for the weak, vulnerable people that could really suck up like half your life. Right. There's not a lot of self-sacrificial built into that. No. Right. Yeah. No, there isn't. And interestingly, like the longings of that political ideology demand that. Yeah. But it, the resource isn't supplied. Yeah, I would think so. I think from what I've read and experienced is. There's a lot of anxiety, high anxiety, high fear. A lot of fear. depression, yeah. You know, I, th- I saw some t- statistic that said that um, 75% of Gen Z want to be self-employed or oh, entrepreneurs. Oh, I, I fully believe that, yeah. But Which, by the way, as somebody who's done that, let me tell you, it's super easy. Yeah, super easy. It's, it's like it's total freedom. <laughs> well, and the, the other thing <laughs> that is that they're afraid of risk. So this really weird, you know, thing. And I see it in the younger, like, you know, 12 to to 15 year olds, like this obsession with YouTube and making it on YouTube and becoming famous and, and like the obsession with, uh, what you, what indicates about your value and the amount of likes and the amount of views and the amount of followers that you have. Yeah. And I think TikTok is like an interesting drug in that because you can actually get a lot more followers on tiktok right and then you can't say on youtube yeah or other places and so that can build your self-confidence and build your identity um and also as that begins to decline very quickly can really well and then as we've seen as soon as somebody cancels you or turns on you the the negative impact is so conclusive and fast and gut-wrenching yes that the the drugs upside hits you real fast when it uh when you're in withdrawals yeah but it really i mean it it's it could be devastating and people have been driven to take their lives right yes yeah they have and the suicide rates are very high right now in younger people and some of that's from covid and isolation and all that but there a lot of it was pre-covid right a lot of it was yeah Mm -hmm. So when talking to younger people, like I think the church has its 
it's uh, work cut out for it. One, because it's older. Yeah. Even, you know, when it comes to the millennials that are in church are older. Yeah. And, and so really being able to offer... I mean, I mean, here's what I, I see in millennials. They're very fatherless. Or not millennials, Gen Z. Like, it, oh, ex- the fatherlessness is even worse extreme. than it was in previous generations. I, I've, I, if there's been one observation I've had is that generally the need is just for basic parenting. Yes. Yeah. Like, that That might be, like, what pastors need to do is just go to Paul Tripp parenting <laughs> conferences. Really? Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, the thing that's really interesting is, like, with my daughter, she's 19, she just says, Dad, like, my friends are shocked that I'm expected to be at home and yeah. eat dinner every night. We mm-hmm. eat dinner together. They they don't even, they're like, my my friends' families don't even, they don't eat dinner. Their parents aren't there. Dad's not, it's gone. They don't even know who their dad is. Like, this is not a one friend story. This is like 75% of my friends yeah. haven't had a father, you know, in their life. At my da- my daughter has a father, but I'm also bad at making dinner. Well, okay, <laughs> work on maybe you need to work on it. <laughs> but well, no, absolutely though. Just the idea of of um, yeah, just having stable parents who love you and yeah, are there it's and huge. leading you through life and actually involved and yeah, the amount of kids and even in um you know, what, what we'd call Christian homes who seem to just kind of be making their own, their own way. And given these powerful devices to navigate the world with yes. little to no involvement. Yeah. Which is why I think, and here we to go full circle, the small church mm-hmm. is so important. Absolutely. Because if you can, if you can grab hold of six millennial or six Gen Zers, yeah, and your church can have them in their homes and yeah. create family and help restructure their worldviews and care for them in their 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 suffering and and to help them to look beyond themselves and to learn from their excitement and their way of understanding things. You're going to transform the world. Yeah, you don't need a youth group or of you know 150 people. Yeah. You don't need all of that to be effective. But you need is we need like. Probably more hundred small churches yeah, with six ten or seven yeah. Gen Zers who aren't part of the family itself. They've kind of grown up in the church. They've, they're coming in. They're brought in. They're brought in and cared for and loved and and, and they probably for. would come if you invited them. I think they would. I think they're longing for something. Yeah, I mean, look at what happens with them, right? Like they they get in in the inner cities. The gangs swallow them up. Is it because they want to be in gangs? No, they just want a family, right? Right. In, uh, in, I mean, this is what, in radicalism, these young people are swallowed up because they want to be radicals. No, they just want a family. They want to belong. They want to be important. They want to matter. Well, I think what's fascinating, you know, when you start looking at some of these uh, protests, especially Mm -hmm. ones for Black Lives Matter, where they're, you know, 50%, 50%, 60 sometimes 70% are white Gen Zers. Yep. And they want to be a part of something that matters. Yes. They're looking for family and matter yep. and impact. And and I think this is the same for the African-American counterpart. Um, it's not like, but it's just interesting to me that you you have these this 
Like I need to belong and I need to matter. And here's a place to do that. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. I'm just saying, let's just look at this from a, a bigger perspective and what's being said and longed for. And right. In these different cultures as they, and they have something to teach us in that. Yeah. But I don't know where we went with all this, Andy, but it was fun. Hey, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> we we lived out the uh, stated purpose of our podcast, I believe. So thanks uh, thanks for sitting with us, friend. Um, good to have you. And uh, it feels weird to say friend like that. I, I, like I, I was going to comment on that. I, I didn't like it. it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, Whoever you are. Hey, uh, thanks for listening, dude. Dude. Uh, dude. Oh, gosh. All right, well, 